This is gonna suck big time. Hi everyone, Tim Kittrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast. Boom shakalaka! You haven't introduced the show in a while. Why don't you do that? Well, hip hip everybody. What the hell does that even mean, hip hip? I don't care. I'm going to say it. Uh, Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 100 plus four of the Pie Factory podcast. Once again, I am your charming, delightful host, Jimmy G. Ah, damn it. (sighs) Can I I I have a do over on that? Sure. Why not? Once again, I am your host. I am um, Sean. And over to my immediate uh, charming and delightful is the left. Uh, Jimmy G. Or right or north. or I don't know where you are. I'm middle of the ground. Uh, middle of the road. Okay. Middle of the road. Okay. So you're like Roger Miller, Lionel Richie kind of thing. Mm, sure. Why not? And you know, something that I was speaking of uh, Grease 2 and Airplane 2, which everybody heard us talk about oh, just of now, of course. Something that I always thought they should do. You know how sometimes movie channels on cable, not premium cable, but regular cable, they'll show like an entire movie series. Like they'll show Grease mm-hmm. and then Grease 2. Yeah. Grease 2 is such a... Da- I mean, the thing is, every time I see Grease, the more I realize what a terrible movie it is on so many levels. But Grease 2 is just atrocious. And I always thought what they should do, if they're going to show Grease and then Grease 2... Then after Grease 2, just to lift everybody back up, they should show Grease, the original. So they can say, hey, don't forget, there's a much better one. Or show the theatrical re-release from a few years ago that had uh, that uh, was a sing-along. Yeah, all you do is you show the DVD and put the uh, captioning on, because my yeah, wife and I Yeah, but it doesn't have a follow the bouncing ball thing if you do that. Well, most people have seen the movie enough that they know what to follow. So, yeah, and that's... Actually, what happened when uh, my wife and I went to Portland a few years ago, the night we arrived in like the town square, uh, not far from where we were staying, they were having a Grease sing-along night. My wife said, oh, let's go. I was like, all right, all right. And that's pretty much what they did. They showed the DVD and turned the captions on. Hmm. And that's really when I realized that it was, that movie is a lot worse than I thought because the sound engineering is terrible. Because so many times I'd see something on the uh, the captioning and I'd say, oh, that's what they were saying? <laughs> Not just in the songs, but in the dialogue. I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But because the engine, the sound engineering is terrible. The, some of the videography is horrible. And it's obviously set in Southern California, yet half the cast has New York accents. I, I don't know how that works. Well, all I know is I saw the, the film for the only time when I was younger and I enjoyed it when I saw it in the theater, but I haven't really thought much about it since then. Yeah. Gee, why were you talking about Grease 2 and Airplane 2? Well, for those who are on the ultra super secret double probation Patreon feed, heard everything we talked about. Yeah. I'm now enjoying my uh, favorite ginger ale, the uh, Blackberry Ginger Ale. And I, no, seriously, it is amazing. Okay, I'll try it once. I'll try it once. And I'm drinking it out of a DePaul University pint glass. And I'll explain why later on. Blue demons. Ooh, yeah. Catholic school with demons. Cecil explained that. I know he did. Yep. That's uh, Cecil B. DeMille, by the way, that explained that. Yes, of course. We'll put a link in the show notes to the explanation. And actually, it actually is tangentially 
or as some people say, tangentially related to something we're going to be talking oh. about today. So yeah, I'm all excited about that. Uh, what, so what have you been up to? It's been three weeks and man. Three weeks. The past three weeks have been, well, crazy nuts. Crazy nuts. I think for both of us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I've had, had a lot of time on my hands uh, because. Why, you, did you amass a watch collection? Uh, no, I was actually listening to uh, Stick's Greatest Hits. And oh, um, I lost my job, so I've been going stir crazy. Well, go find it. Oh. You probably left it on the wash basin. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh, here it is. It's underneath the carton of hamdingers. Ah. That's why I couldn't find it. Nobody likes hamdingers. Hmm. Um, no, so I've, I haven't really played a ton. Um, you think without a job, you'd have more time to do that. Yeah, but you'd also have less uh, motivation, too. Or at least I do, anyway. But... Um, I have been playing. I've been playing tonight's games, and uh, one of them was actually Ooh, worked surprisingly well uh, with uh, with my control setup, which I was really quite shocked at. I think I know what you're talking about, and it worked surprisingly well with me too. And I've um, been playing more games on my eight bit. I haven't really turned on the master system that much. Uh, um, I have <coughs> a cough. A cough too. Oh yeah. By the way, uh, word of warning: I have a cough drop again for those. Listening to the show, who were offended by one of our early episodes where I had a cough drop. They thought I was having candy. It was a cough drop. Anyway, there's a game on my phone I've been playing the hell out of called Andor's Trail, which is a RPG. I've played it before, but it was unfinished, so I could only get so far. And I'm playing it again, and I'm like, I'm still enjoying it, but I, there's more grinding than it than I remember there being. Good night, everybody. Oh, yes, yes. I forgot. We got a new game for our Switch. Uh, Untitled Goose Game, which I have I think I've mentioned on the show before. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Oh, God, this game is so much fun. You're just a... Yeah, I think I mentioned it in the last episode. You're a goose, and you got a list of tasks you have to accomplish, and uh, you're just being a jerk to uh, all the people in the neighborhood, and it, it is so much fun. Uh, there's not much content in it. There's only, like, a couple of hours of content if you're good at the game, so, in other words, it'll last me for weeks. But, um... Oh God, it is so much fun being a goose and just, you know, stealing stuff and tossing them in the lake. And there was one scene where, um, there was one task I had to do, which was to scare a boy and make him lock himself up in a phone booth. So I did that. And then when he, while he was in there, uh, he called the owner of a store and the owner of the store comes out is a, is an electronic store. And the other task after trapping the boy in the uh, phone booth that you have to do is get yourself on television. Well, it's an electronic store. So when the owner goes out, you go into the store, you flip a switch, and then all of a sudden your goose is on all sorts of television sets. It was awesome. Huh. It was funny as hell. Um, I'm really enjoying the game, but um, I guess they might be making more content for it uh, because they did add a couple of, they did add a level recently, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, it's definitely worth the 20 bucks uh, that I paid for it. So I would definitely get that. I came so close to getting that, but then my wife had to go on strike. She's like, yeah, don't buy anything until we know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I was like, ah. On the Switch? Well, it's on the P, it's no, on they, Steam. It, it's on Steam also. Yeah, it is. I think they actually have a, a version for Mac. I, I think you're right, but, actually. That's definitely and, worth checking yeah. out. Yeah, so it's like, ooh, man. Yeah, now, now that I remember, like, once we start getting our paychecks again, which will be any time, then yay, I can perhaps consider that. I did, but, re oh, um, my, as, as I believe I mentioned before, one of our Joy-Cons for the Switch was, um, had the drift problem, which is all too uh, common with those much. things. Oh. Um, but I found online on Amazon, somebody had a uh, repair kit, 
which had two of the uh, thumbsticks and all of the tools and and everything you need to replace it for like 14 bucks. And so I did it. And um, after I replaced it, like it wasn't working properly. And so I was going to like replace it with the other thumbstick because it came with two of them. Uh, but then um, my daughter's boyfriend uh, told me, uh, you know, there's a calibration thing for those on the Switch. And I'm like, really? Where? And he showed me where it was. And so I recalibrated the thing. And now the Joy-Cons work perfectly. So for 14 bucks, oh. 15 bucks plus shipping, this kit was definitely worth the investment. Plus, I got a second uh, thumbstick in case uh, the other one goes bad. So it's definitely worth it. It was an easy repair, too. I was quite shocked at how easy it was. Hmm. No soldering, just... It comes with two thumbsticks, enough screws to mount both of them on the mother on the board inside, and it comes with a uh, tool to split the, uh, the the pieces of the Joy-Con open, and it comes with a standard or not a standard, but a small uh, like eyeglass sized Phillips screwdriver, and it also comes with a small eyeglass sized um, Nintendo uh, proprietary type screwdriver, which it's uh, like kind of like a triangle shape thing, so. Um, 15, 14, 15 bucks. It was worth it. Fixed it. Yeah. Good to go. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I can fix electronics once in a while if they're easy to fix. Man, I haven't played a home console in so long. And I'm, well, I kind of have to change that. Um, I don't know if the episode will be out in time. Yeah, it probably won't be out in time. But this coming weekend, I got to finish my extra life hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah, I was at, um, I went, took my daughters to uh, Prince Arcades today. Ooh, do tell. It's pretty fun. They've they've got a growing uh, selection of pinball games. I think they got like six to eight now, and wow. um, they pretty much had all the the games they've they've had before. Still freaking hopelessly addicted to Space Zap. That's a fun. game. I haven't played that yet. That, oh, one of my coworker, a former coworker of mine, the first job I ever had, just took the house high on that. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. At at Prince. Yep. Oh wow. I uh, if I was better, I could probably beat it. I, I think I got half his score. Me and my daughters played the hell out of uh, Rampage World Tour. Oh, man. World Tour is so much more fun than the original Rampage. I'm just going to throw that out there right now because there's just so much more to do. and There's more comedic touches. You can tell they were really on their A game uh, with that one. Hey, that wins my heart over because you destroy Kankakee in it. Oh, heck yeah. Well, you got to destroy Joliet in the original Rampage. Well, not that that's really hard to do. Kankakee pretty much is destroyed as it is anyway, so. Well, it depends on what part of town you go, I guess. Yeah, maybe. if you go into the part that's uh, within the Kankakee border, yeah. I thought you hated Bourbonnet more, though. They're about the same. Bourbonnet is where the rich people go. Bourbonnet is less useless. Oh, okay, I could, I could, I could understand that. I think, to be honest, I lived in all three of the towns at one time, Kankakee, Bradley, and Bourbonnet. Bradley is the most useless out of all of them, in my really? opinion. Yeah, because they got a mall that's about ready to close. They lost three of their anchors, and there's like maybe a handful of stores in it. So, I don't know. Well, sounds like just about every mall. Yeah, some of them are doing better than others, though. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so that's what I have been up to. How about you? How about me? Um, Well, I didn't lose my job, at least not yet. Having said that, that doesn't leave me with a lot of time to do a lot of stuff, but I, I did, uh, 12 hours worth of extra life, um, on November 2nd. And I got to did we, have we record? No, we wouldn't have recorded since. No. But I mentioned in the previous episode that I booked a room at, uh, well, they build themselves as a hotel, but it, you book it through uh, Airbnb and there's no like concierge or anything. It's basically, here's your code 
punch the code in, go to your room. And uh, it's, they call themselves 124 Lofts because Ooh. it's at 124 West Main Street and West Dundee, right across the street from Underground Retro Cave. Oh, I thought you were going to say because they're on 124 Loft Street. That would be really coincidental. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah. And uh, they're above Craft Donuts, which just opened about a year and a half ago. Which I've ago. heard nothing but good things about. Yeah. Well, the above Craft Donuts, you're also going to hear nothing but good things about. It was. It was so worth the money I spent. It, it was just, the room was freaking huge and gorgeous. Huge. Very clean. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to their uh, website in the show notes, but man, it was just a co- nice comfy bed. Oh, and the uh, room where I was, I was in uh, room number one. There is a view of underground retrocade. You look out the window, cool. it's like, oh, there it is. Which didn't do me any good because I left Underground Retrocade pretty much when it closed. Ah. So, you know, uh, it's not really useful to, like, look out. Then again, when I got to the room, I pretty much collapsed immediately. I never want to play another video game as long as I live. Seriously, seriously. Because the thing is, I think I mentioned this last year when I did Extra Life, but it's one thing to play video games all day because you want to play video games all day. It's another when you're actually dedicated to doing it, Mm -hmm. when you're saying, okay, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. You can't really take a lot of breaks because, man, what happens sometimes? I'm an underground retrocade galloping ghost. My eyes get weary. Oh, yeah. I'll take a break for about five, ten minutes and you know, just kind of wander around or I'll have a seat at the retrocade if I'm there. Well, we brought up um, that, I don't remember who it was years ago, a guy went through a galloping ghost and played all, every game. That was Chris Plackey. You guys are a couple of bumbling Yankee imbeciles. Uh, until he yep. was finished. And I can just imagine what he felt like at the end of that. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that for charity, yeah. too. And it took him longer than he thought it was going to. Oh, and speaking of charity, what really sucked, like, the designated game day, November 2nd. And I, I'm wondering if they designate that the game day because it's when you switch over to daylight saving. No S at the end of saving, by the way. To standard time, meaning the day gets an, an extra hour to it. I wonder if that was why they picked that Could day. Could be. Oh, and by the way, I mentioned bringing that up. Illinois might... Uh, be uh, before too long be permanently on daylight saving time yeah so yeah i'll tell you what i really i really hate leaving work and it's still light out i want it to be dark i want it to be less safe well there you go i want it to be daylight saving time but anyway on game day one of our a good friend of ours keith sheehan longtime listener of the show he was trying he was actually trying to uh donate to my uh extra life campaign Uh he eventually did he eventually was successful at it and thank you keith and thank you to everybody who's donated so far uh off the top of my head i know that that includes uh bruce widmer um air shack thank you so much and i'm probably forgetting a couple of other people but piefactorypodcast.com slash extra life that'll take you right to my page and we're accepting donations till the end of the year i'm trying to get 500 bucks i'm not close yet unfortunately but anyway having said that I was getting a message from Keith. He's like, dude, I'm trying to donate, but the site's all wonky. And it turns out that on game day, Extra Life's website was getting attacked left and right with uh, DDoSs all over. It's like, oh, really? Wow. It's like, it's one thing to be a nuisance and bring a website down with denial of service attacks, but to do it on a day when they're trying to collect money for charity, when they're trying to help uh, sick kids, that's just disgusting. And that that was just really off pissing. I think Ferg was experiencing the same problem too with his campaign. Now, are you sure it was a, a DDoS attack and not just so many people trying to get to the site to donate? According to Extra Life, it was a it was a distributed okay. denial of service attack. And last year they didn't have that problem. Hmm. But yeah, and uh, 
unlike, I think what I tried last year was I did one day at Underground Retrocade and then the next day at home. I did not do that this year. I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do one day at Underground Retrocade and then the following Saturday I'll do it home. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm on call. <laughs> I can't do this. If I get a call while I'm doing Extra Life, I have to stop and get to work basically. And uh, that might happen during this podcast too, by the way. I'm still on call until Friday, but <laughs> so I delayed that by another week. And that was actually a really good timing because I figured, ooh, good. Then I won't divert any attention away from Ferg, who's doing his extra life. Mm -hmm. And I think he was having some problems because I, I, like with his stream. And I wasn't able to watch, unfortunately. I loved watching him. Well, if he uh, was having trouble with his stream, maybe he should have seen a urologist. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of bummed out that I, w I didn't get to uh, see Ferg do his extra life. I did send a few bucks his way because, you know, mm -hmm. I want to I want to support people. Right. So. But I didn't get to watch because I loved watching him and Sarah play video Olympics last time. <laughs> it's like, here I am sitting watching two people in Delaware play Pong. Crickets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Crickets. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to do uh, Saturday, November 16th. Live stream Pong tournament. Yeah, so, so November 16th, I'm going to be streaming some uh, stuff at home. I'll be playing mostly Atari 7800 and 2600 stuff, and I'm undoubtedly going to bust out the Vectrex, too. You should try some of the worst 2600 games, like uh, Skeet Shoot. Skeet Shoot, huh? Karate. Wouldn't that be more for the pain in the assathon? Yeah, yeah, that's true, I guess. Or maybe you just take suggestions. Yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I mentioned this last year, but I'm going to mention it again. Last year, I got my wife's blessing on one condition. Do you remember what that condition was? You have to play the C64 game, Give My Regards to Broad Street, uh, based on the Paul McCartney yeah. movie of the same name, Yeah, which I need to see that movie to see how bad it is. The game is much worse. Much worse. I'm surprised Rift Tracks hasn't done that movie. Huh. Or maybe they haven't. I haven't kept up with it. I need to look that up. It's something that Magical Mystery Tour and Give My Regards to Broad Street have in common. The musical parts are good. Everything else is boring as all get out of here. But man, uh, yeah, this year that was not in the stipulation. The stipulation was, well, try to get home in time to see the Bears, which I didn't want to do. <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, I just searched Rift Trek's catalog and no, they haven't done Give My Regards to Broad Street yet. Yeah. They could probably do that with the movie, because I don't think there's a huge demand for that film. Yeah. So I got 12 hours to fulfill. I'm going to do that Saturday. And yeah, I haven't played anything other. Well, at Underground Retrocade, actually, when I did my first 12 hours, I mm -hmm. increased my personal best on Fix-It Felix Jr. I still can't figure out how to get Felix to jump to the left or to the right every single time. It seems to be very temperamental in deciding when it's going to do it, but I still beat my personal best and I finally got my name where it will eventually be on the top 10 card on top of the machine. <laughs> uh, I beat my personal best on Super Pac-Man. Um, do I, is my name on any of the cards there anymore? Um, is that long gone? I think the only one I, I had was like Frenzy. I think it's on Frenzy. Climber. I think okay. it's on Frenzy. I don't know about Crazy Climber because I, uh, I haven't played Crazy Climber in so long and I don't look at the cards if I don't play, so... Yeah, I get, I, I honestly, I hate looking at the cards because like, oh, wow, people are better than me. Well, think about how many people go to arcades and you're looking at what, 10 people out of how many? Yeah, that true. Are better, you know, um, and shoot, I think that's all the ramblage that I have. Is it? 
Oh, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to owe yet. I'll owe later. Okay. So and we, we'll, and we might have to cut that out. To say. So uh, do we have any uh, uh, feedback? Uh, wow. I think this is the most feedback we've ever gotten for one episode. Wow. Well, not for one episode, but in general. But in general, at one time, we've got two emails from Eugenio. Hey. Uh, one from uh, Chris well, one Plus was Plus. because we record we recorded like the day the day before yeah. he sent the email. Oh, speaking uh, of the day before, is this the first time we're recording an episode the same day that one of us went to an arcade? Mm, could be. I think so. I mean, not might be. I mean, like went to an arcade then did an episode. Then we also, uh, like I said, we also have one from Chris Plus Plus, and ah, yes. uh, from a we'll also have one from the user we had never heard from before, and we'll uh, save that one yes, for the last. Yes. Okay. So, but I'll read the first Eugenio one here. Uh, Eugenios are actually not that uh, long because he doesn't have much to say about our episodes. In fact, I should probably click the link. Here comes the clicking sound. Here we go. So, first one from Eugenio. Oh, Eugenio. Uh, okay. <clears throat> no, no, we can't. We yeah, can't take no, we're that not doing that. Yeah, we're not going to steal that from him. Yet. (laughs) Uh, Greetings, Sean and Jim. Greetings. Uh, I hope all is well with you. I'm writing this after returning from PRGE. The event was fun as always, but it was also cool to see many of the folks from Atari age there. Of course, Ale had a nice space with various new game releases for all the Atari systems. Among them were Baby Pac-Man for the Atari 7800, as well as Galagon in uh, Wizard of War Arcade for the Atari 2600. Are you going to say it's Galagon? Uh... Needless to say, I got all three games as well as several others. <laughs> a nice surprise was to oh. see a new hack adventure for the 2600 that is quite the upgrade from the original version created by Coleco. It is called Venture Reloaded, and I suggest you check it out. And he provides a link. Ale also had demos of various other games that are not yet ready for release. Among them are Arkanoid for the 7800, which, and he has a link for that, um, oh. I, and I have to say that uh, I've played the demo, and holy crap, it's good. I haven't and Zookeeper for the Atari 2600, which I don't think I have played the demo for that one. But Wait, that's, what was uh, that again? Zookeeper. Zookeeper. Oh, my goodness. For the goodness. Atari 2600. Both titles look fantastic. The National Video Game Museum was also there with an exhibit celebrating the Nintendo Game Boy, and there was also John Hancock's full Sega Genesis collection being displayed. I saw pictures of that. Holy crap, that's a lot of games. I have created an online album for the event, which, oh, thinking of which, I think I might uh, have seen it from there because I clicked the link later on. Uh, so he's including the link at the end of the email. So this would be the point where on the email where I'd say I'm going to give you feedback about the games for this episode. Unfortunately, I am not with either Peter Packrat or Turtles. I did some reading on them and watched videos of both. I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about these, which you already have. <laughs> uh, going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. P.S. And here is the he has the link to his PRGE picture album, which we will... Put in the show notes. Of course. Of course. And, oh, speaking of PRGE, the rumor has it that they're looking to move that to August. I had heard that. I don't know if anything official has been uh, done. It would be a lot easier for people to get out there because uh, end of the summer and, uh, you know, people keeping their kids out of, uh, getting their kids on vacation time from school and that. So you want to read the next email? Uh, Sure. And that would be from... uh, Chris plus plus. Oh, Chris, and this is also going to include um, that we we should open up addenda and errata for this because there's an addendum. Okay. Actually, we have a little more addenda too from uh, Twitter, which we actually finally figured out how to read. Who's we? Okay, I have. Thank you, thank you. Credit where I 
do stuff from time to time. So anyway, uh, Chris plus plus, uh, also a longtime listener goes way back to, I think, episode zero, actually. And he says, hiya, pie bakers. Well, he's not mm-hmm. talking to us because we, I, do you make pies? I eat pies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I eat a good pie now and then. Uh, that could be taken many different ways. Uh, let's yeah, forget for, I said that. Forget, forget. Yeah. We, we don't do pies. Yeah. There, there. Uh, I I wish that I'd thought of this when you announced that one of your upcoming featured games would be Turtles, because now that it's one of your previously featured games, yeah, because he sent this after we uh, recorded, the information has dropped in status from possibly useful to practically irrelevant. Regardless, I'll direct you to an article that I wrote about the game. It was based on a lot of research that I could have saved you. Uh, Yeah, I really need to keep these, like, links like bookmarked and stuff but anyway uh, he goes on yeah no still kidding. maybe it'll be fun for you to read after having replayed the game for the episode and it contains some potential addenda such as the fact that oh this is fascinating I, I my jaw dropped when i read this such as the fact that the emerson arcadia 2001 conversion actually plays 600 in spite of the title scene reading both turtles and turpin but not 600 those wacky emersons and there's a link to his uh, Turtles article, and we will, of course, put that in the show notes. Yeah, we already have like 18 links in the show notes at this point. Emerson, good uh, facts about uh, the, the Arcadia version of Turtles there. Oh, yeah. Emerson, Emerson. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, verse. And I'm going to confess I haven't read this yet, so uh, I, I will. I promise I will, but there's a little thing I'll called- I'll see to it. Yeah, there's a little a little thing called uh, "Wish I Had More Time," but without having to sacrifice like a paycheck and doing other things as well. Which is again why I always say I wish there were five of me so I could do everything I want to do. I don't know how to do that yet. We don't have the, the technology. But thank you, uh, Chris Plus Plus. Oh, and also thank you to Chris Plus Plus and Adam from the Bally Alley Astrocade. Uh, got a little gift from them that I might actually send to you, Jimmy G. Oh. Yeah, I guess when Adam was doing some cleaning, he happened across an issue of, I don't know if it's pronounced S-T-Art or Start, because S-T is in big letters and Art is in smaller letters. And it's I always a, pronounced it as Start. Start. Yeah, he said, he, he said uh, I figured you might like this because it has the Beach Boys on the cover and there's a little write-up about them. And yeah, there's like a, nine, a circa 1989 picture of uh, the classic Beach Boys minus Dennis Wilson, who had already been dead for six years. And uh, as far as I could tell, there's only a brief mention. They talked to somebody who was uh, working with them in the studio. It was like, yeah, I use an Atari ST1040 with this MIDI setup. And that's what we used when we recorded uh, uh, these tracks on the Beach Boys latest thing and this and that. And I think that was pretty much it. But in fact, I looked through the magazine. Pretty much most of the magazine is about MIDI. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, was was there any other home computer that had built-in MIDI? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, the Amiga certainly didn't. Commodores, did, none of the Commodore computers did. I think you you it went through. Uh, you had to get like an adapter or something for joystick ports for the PC to run MIDI. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, you are not mistaken because it would uh, run off the sound card. And that got the ST huge into the music industry. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Fleetwood yeah, were, Mac used them. There was a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, that article had a whole bunch of, uh, different bands and stuff that used, uh, I may have read that. I may Atari have read that. You probably, you probably did. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be surprised if you did. So anyway, thank you, uh, Chris and Adam for that, uh, very thoughtful gift. Thank mm-hmm. you. And I got to say here, uh, he goes on a little bit more here in his email. 
Anyway, I'm still listening to the Turtles Peter Packrat episode, and I'm keen to learn about the reason for the tribute to Tenpence Arcade. Perhaps it's to celebrate their fifth anniversary, or maybe it's just because Peter Packrat is Victor's favorite game of all time. Sure, it's both. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it has so. nothing to do with the fact that on both of them, you have to gather a bunch of stuff and put them and back in we, a certain place. you got to read the PS. you got to read the PS. Are you aware that collectively you're the tallest classic game podcast going? This is in spite of what I heard about Ferg. Rumors say that he's 16 feet tall. We've talked about Ferg more than we've talked about anything else this episode so far. He's huge. Big Mick Large yeah, huge. I, I cannot, I, I don't know. I've I've never been in the same locale as Ferg, so I couldn't really say. Maybe he's taller than both of us. I don't know. What, I mean, what, you're what, six foot nine or something, and I'm six two? I'm six four. Yeah. So that's what, 15 feet, six, six, two and six, four. That's, that's 12. That's 15. Yeah. Yeah. No, 17. Is it 17? I don't know. It's at least 10 feet. That's for sure. And people are listening to the show saying, Sean's wife is a teacher. You should know this. She doesn't <laughs> teach math and she doesn't teach me. She teaches high school students. I'm not a high school student. <laughs> she probably thinks you're already learned. It's pronounced learned. Well. Oh, so yeah. Thank you uh, for your uh, um, for your words there, Chris. Plus, plus. Uh, what else do we we have? We have other feedbacks, don't we? Uh, we have another one from Eugenio. Um, should we hold that off till we? Yeah, you know what? Let's hold off on that one because that uh, talks about the games that we're talking. Yeah, we're going to keep holding off on Eugenio's current emails until we actually remember to go back to them on time. Because it's always like, and hey, that's the oh, hold it, no, we got to read Eugenio's. As long as we're doing Addenda and Errata here, Twitter has been blowing up with comments about our 10 Pence tribute episode. But uh, we'll just address one of them here because it actually is okay. a uh, Addenda or Errata for uh, Toidles. Uh, and this Toidles. comes from uh, Vertvik, who uh, must have listened. <laughs> uh, but he says, it's easy, you dumbasses. Brown beetles, <laughs> random, dopey. Orange beetles will follow you when they see you. Blue beetles actively seek you out. The game needs a four-way, too. It's okay if it's in a four-way. Otherwise, the controls will freak you out. And that was saying something because we're already freaked out. Oh, yeah. Oh, he also asked, uh, hope you had sausage gravy with those biscuits? He said, everybody go listen to the newest Pie Factory podcast where Sean, S-H-O-N, and Jamie review the best, Toidles, and the worst, Peter Rat games that the 10 best arcade podcast I've ever reviewed, according to er me. Yeah, I got. I got to tell you, I don't remember if I told this story before, but when we uh, when we met uh, mm-hmm. Sean and Victor last year, right before Christmas, great guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously, I, I really awesome had guys, just actually. an amazing time with them. And hell yeah. And I remember uh, Sean and I we played a round or two of Blaster. And then I said to him, hey, Sean, uh, there's a game over here that I'm pretty sure that you are an expert at, and I really need your help at. Could you come follow me? And I led him to Peter Packrat. <laughs> and he gave me this look of death and stormed away from me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that, yeah, and the biscuits, actually, I sat next to him at Tony's when we had breakfast before we went over there. <laughs> and he was eating the biscuits, and he leaned over to me and he said, these are actually scones. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> Which I guess he's right. Sean and Victor loved them some biscuits and gravy, though. And oh man, the steak on Victor's plate! Oh my god, that was that was amazing. It was what, a thing of beauty. It was like that's it was skirt steak, I think. Oh mm. man, 
wow. And it, was, it probably cost, what, four bucks, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> it's like, because Tony's is cheap and they're amazing. They're great. Oh, hell yeah. Oh. Well, uh. Thanks, guys. Now, we have one f- final email here. This one is from Lance and- Enders. Enders. He, pronun- he, he actually has a phonetic pronunciation there. So. Does he? Yeah. Oh, he does. Yeah. Endres. Endres. Okay. From Lance Endres. Oh, by the way, thank you for including that in your email. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lance. Thank you. Uh, I kind of know where we get, when I tell people my last name, they always misspell it. So I have to do it like one letter at a time. So I kind of know what you're talking about. So I'll just go ahead and get to get to this one. If I can do it without coughing. Hi, Jim and Sean. Hi. And first of all, thank you. You put the most important person first. So thank you for that. Save the best for last. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Um, love listening to the Pie Factory podcast on my half hour drive into work every day. Intentionally or unintentionally, you guys make me laugh out loud. Uh, laugh out loud. There's another one right there. Outload. That's a, that sounds like a new, like some kind of a video. That's game. a Sega racing game. Yeah, actually. yeah. Uh, out loud multiple times per episode. BT Dubs, you guys can thank the Ten Pence Arcade podcast for the referral. Enter sarcasm. Thanks, Ten Pence. Every so often, Vic and Sean mentioned Pie Factory. I figured I'd have to give it a shot and have been following ever since episode 93. Better late than never, I guess. Sure. So come to find out, I had to travel over to the UK to wind up back in Illinois. I'm actually located in you guys' backyard Use guys. Use, oh, that's right. Use guys. Did I say that in Peoria? I don't know. I don't know. I've never been there. But um, I'm going to summarize the next paragraph here because there's a few things in here I don't think uh, I, I feel comfortable uh, reading. But... Uh, he says he's been going through the older episodes, and he was saying how episode 83 touched him, and um, he goes on about how he can, re- you know, about how he relates to uh, to some of the uh, subjects that were brought up in that, uh, into that episode. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, that uh, that really means a lot to me, because that's, again, that's, that's why I do that, to, uh, you know, to raise awareness and to, uh, you know, mental health seems to get the short shrift when it comes to... When it comes to healthcare in this country, and uh, you know it, I, it needs to be pushed more and more to the forefront. I think so. So thank you for the kind words about episode eighty-three. And now I'm going to read the rest of your email, and I'm going to be more upbeat because uh, now it's time to get funny. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he says, uh, which leads into my obsession with gaming. I was always at a friend's house, either playing in, out in their backyard, which was a combination of a forest and a junkyard, or playing their Atari twenty-six hundred. It was late 70s into the early 80s, and my friend was fortunate enough to have a father that loved playing video games as much as we did, and it was freaking cool. I would never have had access to so many game titles otherwise. I swear I had to have played at least a third of the titles available on the 2600. I remember being obsessed with Activision's titles the most. Gary Kitchen's Keystone Capers, River Raid, Hero, Chopper Command, Kaboom, and of course Pitfall. And Magic was a close second with titles Demon Attack, Atlantis, Dragonfire, and Cosmic Arc, to name just a few of the memorable ones. But for some reason, we always came back to Asteroids, and that was the bread and butter of our gaming. I remember pleading with my parents, my mother, for an Atari 2600 for Christmas during the early 80s. Like all mothers, my mom thought a gaming system was a waste of money and my time. I thought all was lost, and then one evening while we were watching television, William Shatner appeared peddling the Commodore VIC-20. Right out of Bill's mouth, why buy just a video game from Atari or any television? Invest in the wonder computer of the 1980s for under $300. The Commodore VIC-20. Holy crap, I had found a loophole in my mother's reasoning. I can't tell you how freaking excited I was when I unwrapped that VIC-20 on Christmas morning. 
Included was a subscription to Family Computing so I could learn the basic programming language and a random game purchase of Gorf. Okay, I got to say, Family Computing was my go-to magazine, uh, oh. and I subscribed to it for several years because early on it had it was actually one of the few magazines to actually have coverage of the Atom, and later on it uh, when I got my ST, it had coverage of the ST. So it was a fine, fine magazine. I remember it fondly, actually. Needless to say, within a few weeks, I crushed Gorf to my will, and I was hungry for more challenges. I never had many games for the VIC-20, but I enjoyed all of them. Radar Rat Race, Omega Race, and Scott Adams Adventure. I even typed in a few games from my issues of family computing and saved them to my data set that I received the following Christmas. I eventually worked my way up and down the Commodore product line after my VIC-20. I made the jump to C64 and then to the C128 and then back down to the 64C. Still love the updated design. I have to say, those computers were pretty slick looking. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main reason for this rapid fire change of computers was due to the substandard electrical situation in my folks' house. Always seemed like there was a brownout or lightning strike in our neighborhood. I eventually learned with my 64C to always unplug it and never use it when the Illinois weather was questionable. (laughs) I've got to say, I had a lot of great experiences with this line of computers, playing with my first 300 and 1200 baud modems, calling local bulletin boards, and even joining the online service Quantum Link for Uh a short period of time. Quantum Link eventually becoming AOL, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Uh, favorite games I'll never forget. Archon, Barbarian, Paradroid, Mail Order Monsters, Samurai Water, Warrior, The Battles of Usagi, Yo Jimbo, Yo Jimbo, uh, Defender of the Crown, Euridium, and on my all-time favorite Mule. I, I've tried playing Mule. I, I just can't get into that one. I think I tried that once many years ago. Yeah, I, it's probably one of those you had to play it back when it was when it was a thing to, to sort of get it and whatever. Yeah, it might have been one of those you have to read the manual kind of things. Oh, it definitely is. It definitely yeah, which, is. There's just a lot going on. I didn't have a manual there. for reasons I'm not going to get into right now. <clears throat> AtariMania.com has it. But that's a that's a great go-to site for any missing manuals, I have to say. And always in the background of all that home gaming was visiting arcades. My mother and I frequently shopped at Northwoods Mall in Peoria, Illinois. Every time she would reluctantly hand me $10 and I would make my way to Aladdin's Castle, <sighs> which happened to be in the bucks. most sordid and disreputable part of the mall. It is Peoria, after all. Um, Mm -hmm. I added that. (laughs) When, like many arcade stories, I can still see in my head the location and lineup of cabinets against uh, along the walls. I do clearly remember the early days of of Aladdin's Castle and playing a Death Race arcade that was stored in an area where older arcades went before being retired. I spent a majority of my time playing Spy Hunter, Elevator Action, Galaga, Gauntlet, Space Fury, and Ripoff, among others. Games I distinctly remember seeing for the first time are... Donkey Kong and Bagman at Six Flags Great America in Gurney, Illinois. Never got to play DK that day. The crowd of people around it amazed me. Never seen so many people jockeying to play an arcade game before. Satan's Hollow, Paperboy, Crossbow, Operation Wolf at Landmark Lanes in Peoria, Illinois. They had twice the volume of arcades as Aladdin's Castle. I was lucky enough to know one of the clerks and free games were plentiful. Awesome. Tron. I want to say I played it somewhere in Door County in Wisconsin. Thinking back, almost 40 years can be a bit hazy. <laughs> I'd say you have no idea, but I think you pretty much do have an idea. <laughs> Fast forward through the years. Through the years. I had a Sega Genesis, a Sony PlayStation, and a Microsoft Xbox. During that time, I got a degree in graphic design and multimedia. I married, had three kids, and moved to Illinois. Oh, I'm sorry, moved from Illinois to Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Back to Illinois. Uh, I'm sorry again. My kids <laughs> expanded our family gaming with the Xbox 360 and Xbox One. But to backtrack, while in Wisconsin during the early 2000s, I became obsessed with MAME and reconnecting with classic arcade games. 
I have some carpentry skills, so I figured why not build an arcade? So I got the cabinet plans from what was then Mame Room, and I got to work. I built the cabinet, did the wiring, designed custom artwork, got a PC and television all set up. Last step was to load the software. Meh. Although Mame was incredible, I didn't care for the front-end options. This gets really neat here. So I started work on my own Mame front-end software, and I created Maximus Arcade, which I have actually heard of. Hmm. My goal was to make a front-end that my kids could understand. Simple as that. I never meant to sell it until a co-worker got extremely excited, wanted a copy, and said I should consider selling it. Yeah, okay, I can do that. Again, fast forward 10 years and I sell Maximus Arcade to Sean Walters with X Gaming X Arcade in 2013. It was a lot of work to get to that point, but what a blast. During the software development years, I got to contribute to the early days of the retro gaming industry in such a fun way. I did both graphic design and custom programming for companies such as Mame Room, Dream Authentics, X Gaming, Slick Stick, Game Room Magazine, and Game Cabinets Incorporated. Having a customized version of my software run on Mountain Dew's old school arcade was a freaking awesome highlight. And what what is Mountain Dew's ar- old school arcade? I I don't know. Is that something we should know as video game podcasters? That must be. I wonder if that's an Xbox thing. We never claim to be experts at anything. No, or good, or entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah was a freaking awesome highlight. Mountain Dew? Hells yeah. It was my drink of choice growing up, and I was thrilled at the opportunity to be associated with a childhood favorite of mine. As sad as it was to let go of my hard work, I knew Sean at X Gaming, uh, spelt S-H-A-W-N, could take the idea further than I could alone. After the purchasing the rights to Maximus Arcade, he designed and built an arcade pedestal around its design aesthetics and functionality. It's a gorgeous freestanding pedestal known as the Arcade 2 TV. I have seen that. That's actually pretty freaking awesome. I think you just provide your own TV for that. Hmm. Your own flat screen. Uh, Present day, I'm still entrenched in games. Now I restore, rebuild, and sometimes mod classic arcades and now pinball machines. So I think I've rambled long enough, and I hope I'm not coming off pretentious. (laughs) That's me and Sean's job. I think the fact that you admit that you live in Peoria is enough to uh, cancel out any pretentiosity. (laughs) Exactly. But I think I thought, I've never been to Peoria. I should I shouldn't be a dick about it. So. Actually, Peoria is kind of nice. They got they got a. I, I, I'd kinda, like to go there someday. They got a really nice uh, a, a street there. The views are amazing. It's um, Grandview Drive. Uh, President Grant called it the most beautiful uh, street in the country. Actually, at one time. Da-da-da, not coming off pretentious. But I thought I would share a glimpse into my gaming history. Keep up the wonderful work you both do. You've got a fan for life. Whose uh-huh. life? Ours or yours? Ah. Thank oh. you again, Jim and Sean, and your slightly off and on-topic episodes are truly appreciated. You know what? Those are some of our favorite episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just nice to just go off and just talk about something that we actually know something about. Yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> Ricard's uh, Lance... Uh, Endries. Endries. So. Looks like it's... Uh, um, and I responded to it, and he re- he responded back, but... Um, thanks so much, Lance. It was, it was but, yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. That, that was... Uh, oh, I had to read this uh, from his response to my email. Take care, and I look forward to future episodes. By the way, I'm really digging Tinkle Pit. What a great game. <laughs> it really is a good game. It's a good game. It's a good game. It's, it's more, as we said in that episode, it's more of a console, console-ish uh, type game, but it's still, it's still a decent game. So, again, thanks, Lance. Uh, thank you for all the kind words, and um, you know, I, I can't really say any more. But uh, Say no more. No more. Since we're not saying anything more, is that the end of the episode? I don't know. Okay. So Crazy nuts. <laughs> Seriously, I think we do have some games to talk about, though, don't we? Are we are ah, we done with the Dunda and Arata too? I I think so. Yeah, I think okay. so. We're we're correct from this point on. Oh, of course, and we, we didn't are. forget anything from this point on. No. 
Of course we didn't. So now I'm going to click my mouse to close that window and to bring up my notes for my game. And I don't know what we're going to talk about first, but uh, which one do you want to talk about first? How about we start with Atari football? Ah, okay. I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about this one, but um, Atari football was a two-player black and white game. This is one of the last old school games. It was released in two different versions, a two-player version in 1978 and a four-player. Wait, define old school. Old school, like not color. Oh, okay. All right. And no overlays either. Huh. The two-player version was released in 1978, and the four-player version was in 1979. The game is basically just classic American football. One credit, each credit buys you 90 seconds of game time, and it's a two-player-only game, which is unusual. Most games are one player then you can add a second one. Yeah. There are very few games out there that are two-player only. I think Atari sports games from that time, Atari soccer, Atari baseball, uh, were the same way. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and the tank games, too. And the tank games. So you have to, And Pong, their first game, Pong. And Pong yeah, that's right. Pong. Yeah, all their early games, were, I guess, were two players only. Yeah. It only comes in a cocktail design so that uh, the screen is flat and the players face each other. They're on opposite sides, just like they'd be on opposite sides of a football field. This is the first Atari game to have a trackball. Really? Yes, it is. I did not know that. Uh, there's one trackball control for each player, plus one button to select the plays and to pass the football. Plays are indicated by a, uh, a red uh, LED light next to a label on the control panel, and you press the button to cycle through all the plays. And uh, when you both have selected a play and you've both left it there for just like a second or two, then the actual play on the screen begins. The two-player game has four plays, Sweep, keeper, bomb, down and out, and it doesn't have any kicking plays. Now, I would describe what these plays are, but uh, I, yeah, I'm not going to, because I don't <laughs> quite understand it. <laughs> yeah, you've voiced how you don't like American football, and I do, actually, and I still don't understand. So. But if you look at the, uh, you know what, maybe we'll include a link to a picture of what the, the plays look like, because I got a picture here in my notes, which I forgot to email you, but I'll... Uh, I'll email it to you so you have the picture. Um, the four-player table did also add a punt and field goal play. And oh, on the okay. four-player table, the trackballs on the right side of the control panels are for the quarterbacks, and the ones on the left side are from the control panel is for the receivers. And it's typical American football scoring. A touchdown is six points. Field goal is three. Safety is two. Conversion is two points. And a kicked conversion is one point. The graphics are just simple black and white X's and O's. In fact, the game was originally designed in 1974 under the title X's and O's. Wow. Uh, it was designed by Steve Bristow. Uh, however, it was shelved so that he could work on Tank. When development continued a few years later, it was finished by Ed Logg, Lyle Raines, and Dave Steubens. I've heard that, um, was it Ed Rotbard? Rot was, is that how you pronounce his name? Actually continued with the four-player version, but I've read um, conflicting reports on that. The offense in the game is re replicated by O's, and the defense is by X's. Once you change from offense to defense or vice versa, your uh, players are changed to the to the other uh, symbols. So you don't have to keep swapping back and forth, you know, different sides of the table. And apparently, approximately 14,000 two-player versions of this game were produced, and only 900 of the four-player versions. 14,000, <laughs> that's a total of 23,000 uh, Atari black and white football games. That's kind of a big deal. I actually for back that, wait, 23,000? No, 14,900. I'm sorry, 14,900. That's still a pretty dang big deal for uh, the time frame which this game was released, though. That's kind of like Asteroids numbers there. 
Hmm. So there were a lot there were a lot of these out there. Now I'd mentioned this wasn't the first game to or this was Atari's first trackball game. The first game to use a trackball though was Taito's Soccer in what year? 1976. Ooh, 1973. Oh! And that is how old this game was. Now, I distinctly remember the first time I ever played this game. I don't remember the year, but it was at, what's the name of the place? I think it's Skateland USA, roller skating rink in Shanahan, Illinois. Really? Or as I call it, Bananahan, because there's so many N's and A's. Wow. Yeah, and uh, of course, they had the arcade games in a place, in like a little carpeted area that you had to cross the actual rink to get to. There was no way to get there without skating over to it. And of course, me, without any sense of balance, had a hard time doing that. But uh, I made it over there and I played it with uh, with one of my friends who actually happens to be a judge in Wisconsin now. Um, huh. So there's that. And uh, do you have anything? Where, when, when's the first time you've ever played this game? The first time I ever played it was actually uh, probably about six ish years ago. <laughs> At Underground Retro because I didn't I didn't even know it existed until I saw it at Underground Retro I was like, whoa, this is interesting. I played it against a gentleman named Dan Lambert, who happens to be the younger son of the proprietor of Underground Retro Now, people that know me know I'm not a huge sports fan. I like the Chicago Cubs. That's about it. I don't care for football. Don't can't get into soccer. I've tried getting into basketball and hockey. I just can't do it. Baseball is my first love, but. Um, all of that having been said, this is an incredibly fun game. It, it, I agree. And you will hurt your hands rolling that <laughs> trackball. I remember when you and me were playing it at Midwest Gaming Classic a few years ago, we were like we were like in pain from rolling that trackball <laughs> because you don't just roll it like you do in Centipede with your fingers. You're like putting your whole palm on that thing, just trying to get some good action yep. going on that. And you know when somebody's playing Atari football, because you will hear the track balls from oh, like, across yeah. the room. It's like... Vroom, vroom, vroom. Might I just go out on a limb here saying that, oh. in my humble opinion, I think this is the best sports arcade game ever made. Really? My person Now, that huh. having been said, remember, I'm not a huge sports fan, and I yeah. don't go searching out sports games. Sure. But... Um, this is a game that I think is so fun that the average arcade player who might not normally play a football game would play this one. Yeah, I could see that. It's simple. It's bare bones, basic, no flashy graphics. What it lacks in high tech, whatever, it more than makes up in the gameplay and in its simplicity. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing about this game is its simplicity. Yeah, I kind of get confused as to what the plays mean, even though they have a diagram there. But um, really, it's just a trackball and one button. Yeah. And it's easy to pass. It's easy to... I guess you need a little familiarity with the rules of football, like what a down is and that sort of thing. But yeah, the um, basic rules you'll get by. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the graphics, X's and O's, that's what you see on the chalkboards every time in the locker room when the coach is sending out plays or whatever. It's always X's yeah. and O's. Yep. And um, they did a really good job with this one. And like I said, it's really, in my opinion, the best sports arcade game ever made. Now, speaking of doing a really good job, was this programmed in software or was it discrete logic? Do you know? I think it was programmed in software. Okay. I think Atari's stuff wasn't discrete logic much long after uh, Pong and the original breakout. Okay. I think they went total microchips by this point. In fact, I don't know. Okay, yeah, it was a 6502. Okay, there you go. Seriously, track this one down. This one is, 
This one is a game worth tracking down just to play. You'll have a lot of fun, you and the person, whoever you're playing with on this. Yeah. In fact, this, you know what? If you can get a hold of one of these, I think this would be a great game, even if you don't have any arcade games in your home. If you could track one of these down, this would be a perfect addition to like your man cave or whatever the hell you have. This or your she shed. Or your she shed by the she seashore. Ah. I'm surprised they didn't market this more for the home person because this, I think, would have sold a lot of. A lot of the well, maybe more to the wealthy too, though. But, yeah, but yeah, because home, yeah, people I'll just say this, didn't have track it down in this day and age for your yeah for your for your home because this is a this would be a great game to have in your home. Yeah, or even if even if you have like a two trackball meme cab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you definitely got to have this one. But you know what surprises me about Atari Football is hmm. when you look it up on arcade.com. There are 12 locations that have it. It lists 13, but one of them is closed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know there were that many out there, you know? Well, again, would you see how many were actually produced? I'm surprised there's actually not more out there, to be honest. Huh. I think a lot of it, though, too, is most of these are most of these arcades I don't nowadays, I don't think really do much in the way with cocktail style tables. Yeah. At uh, Underground Retrocade, they had to kind of put this game kind of like in the corner mm-hmm. where they get a little room because. Because, yeah, you need a person on either side. Most most cocktail tables are like that, with the exception of, say, like uh, Joust. I think there's like one other where it's side by side, but yeah. you can't and do this, that with this game. Yeah, and it's a pretty large table, too. It's not yeah. a, a sit-down table. It's not a typical. Oh, and they uh, Atari did make a riser for the, the game to raise it up a little bit for taller players. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically the size of a shortened ping pong table, really. Yeah, maybe not that big. No, it's but, not you know. that big. I'd say it's one-sixth the size of a, t- a ping-pong table. I'd say it's 25% bigger than the typical cocktail table. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe 33%. But uh, mm. now I'm wanting to play it. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> oh, I have to man, say, I, I wanted to play this when I was at the Retrocade for uh, Extra Life, but there wasn't anybody there that I, I, I saw that I knew. And I will say that this game in MAME works well with uh, analog thumbsticks. Most uh, huh. most trackball games don't really work that well. You know, there are a few exceptions, but this one works pretty well. The, the The drawback is though you have to get kind of a second player, and because the um, the plays were on the way that they were on the uh, on the control panel, and the way it lit up, they were in such a way where the other player couldn't see what you selected. However, if you play it in MAME and you hit the select play button, it'll display on the screen what play you selected. And so if you got another person right there playing with you, they're going to see it too. So you're saying I should not play this on my GPD XD with another person? Oh, of course not. Yeah. No, huh. no. Okay. But this is a great game. Track it down, find it, play it. You won't, uh, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, t- yeah. Talk about like, it's all about the gameplay. This is your baby right here. Mm-hmm. So much fun. And by the way, I have one tip that I want to uh, offer up to anybody listening. When you are on defense, don't just go after the ball carrier. Because if you just spend your time having your player run after the ball carrier, you're not going to be very successful on defense. Just line up with whomever you're lined up against and just do the blocking that way. And you'll find you're a lot more successful on defense than uh, you would if you're just chasing the ball carrier, which people tend to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that was a, as I was saying before about how uh, when you're playing this game and you're rolling the track ball and you're like kind of almost like pounding on it, you know, because you're just trying to roll that ball fast. Uh, this, if you're going to hurt yourself in an arcade game, this is going to be the one because you all 
every now and then you'll kind of like pinch your finger between the ball and the cabinet. Uh-huh. Uh, that's happened to me once or twice playing this game. It's still worth playing though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now you're saying arcade lists locations. Now, given the, uh, the fact that this scoring in this game is uh, based on basically the scoring of typical American football, do they actually have any sort of uh, tracks for this, either them or uh, nope. Twin Galaxies? No? Nope, and Highscore.com doesn't either. Interesting. It's not um, unexpected, but I am kind of curious what the highest score in a 90-second game is. Yeah. I imagine probably not too huge, though. Yeah, and something that um, I learned back when we talked about Arch Rivals, a basket brawl. Oh, what episode was that? Oh, shoot, 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 shoot. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Arch Rivals was episode 43. Back in episode 43, I found that I think it was Twin Galaxies, and what they did was they didn't track the actual scores, but they tracked the difference in scores. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't find any scores for, for this, so. Again, not surprising. I don't know. So I gotta ask, what do you uh, what do you rate this game? You know, I have to I have to give it a four. Four out of five continues. I'm definitely giving it a four too. Like I said, easily the best sports arcade game in my opinion. And I'm sure you probably well, I don't know what you you think about that, but I know it's really really high in your esteem when it comes to sports games. I know that for a fact. Yeah, Just hearing you I'll, talk about it, and I'll tell you what I think I would rate it five if there was some kind of one player option. I mean, yeah, you can, say, you can say, oh, you can always play it with a friend. Well, the thing is, what if your friend doesn't feel like playing it? Or what if you don't have any friends like me? Well, I have I have any friends, so. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So that's not a whole lot to say about this particular game, but um, this, it's one you really just got to try for yourself. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to repeat myself again on it, but um, yeah. I'm sorry, what did you say? But yeah, you know, yeah. great game. Great game. Yeah. So great that I'm yawning right now. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So why don't we move on to another game, Sean? Ooh, let's move on to another game. What other game would you like to discuss? How about uh, Parcheesi? Parcheesi. Ah, Parcheesi. Uh, well, oh, we Parcheesi didn't do is a, a game aha, that originated Atari in football. India. But, oh, we what? didn't do. We didn't do. Aha, Atari football. Ah, ah, Atari football. Ah, so, uh-huh. ah. What's this one? Next one. Uh what is the next one? Oh, oh, NBA Jam, NBA mm-hmm. Jam. Uh-huh. And we're not talking about the preserves and jellies that Michael ja- Michael Jordan uh, makes. I almost said Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I, wait, wait, was he in Space Jam? No. Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan was, yeah. No, oh. Michael Jackson. Oh, I need That's a, a different I, episode. I, I need a nap. Yeah. Yeah, why are we... Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just need a nap. But, I do too. Uh, having said that, um, I have a but ton of details about NG, NBA Jam I want to go over that. I might actually skip a lot just for the sake of time. Welcome to NBA Jam! But anyway, NBA Jam officially made its debut in public in February 1993 at the NBA All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City. They called the event Jam Session. <laughs> and in fact, that's what all those NBA events were called. The, like at those fan conventions, they call them jam sessions. Jam and that's the where more. the NBA jam title actually comes from. The original title, the working title of NBA jam was NBA jam session specifically because of that. Ah. But Midway felt that it would look a little bit cluttered on the marquee. So they just shortened it to NBA jam. I think that's a good marketing move. Oh, it absolutely is because, you know, it's, it's brief, it's quick. It sounds a lot hipper than jam session when it comes to video games, at least in basketball. Oh, by the way, this is a basketball game in case you didn't know. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, I know. Shocking. Uh, I, told I thought you it was the made... Nabisco Bakers Association uh, putting jam on crackers. Oh, man. If that... Do you know how deep that abbreviation would be, Nabisco Bakers Association? Because that would be the National Biscuit Company Bakers Association. Oh, God. That reminds me of that uh, uh, Saturday Night Live episode years back. They're doing a Star Trek parody. It was a John Belushi era. And uh, the Star Trek was like, we're picking up a van on the scanners, Captain. It's from NBC. Apparently, they used to make cookies. (laughs) But anyway, I talked about when NBA Jam made its official debut. It made its unofficial debut in late 1992 at the only arcade I was ever denied admission to. Oh? Yeah, Dennis's Place for Games at 957 West Belmont in Chicago. Really? And I'm going to explain that right now. Please do. Dennis's Place for Games was still around when I moved to the city of Chicago in 2006. And I noticed because it's on Belmont right where the red and brown and purple line tracks of the Chicago Transit Authority go over. You can see it right from the, the station. And I worked two stops away in the brown purple lines on diversity in Sheffield. So on my way home from work one night, and this was when my wife was uh, still in New Jersey working on her master's thesis, I thought, hmm, I'm going to see what kind of games they have here. So after work, I stopped over at Dennis's Place for Games on Belmont, and I walked in. They wouldn't let me in because of their dress code. Dress code? Yeah, here I'm coming from a full-time office job, and apparently I was dressed below an arcade's dress code. That's weird. Yeah. And I think I know why, because sometimes when I'm on, say, Facebook and there's like Chicago history groups that I'm on and somebody mentions Dennis's Place for Games, they had several locations. Somebody is going to come out and say, oh, you mean Dennis's Place for Gangs? Ah. Because there was apparently a a haven for gangbangers, so they would try to curb that as much as possible, and they had a pretty tight dress code. And I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and I wasn't allowed in. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I never went back and uh, Dennis's no longer exists because a couple of years later, the building where uh, the, I think uh, the Belmont location was their last location that was open and that building had a fire and they didn't reopen after the fire. But anyway, that is where NBA jam made its unofficial debut. And uh, the story that I read was that the entire development team from Midway ceremoniously brought over the final ROM on an EEPROM and installed it in the computer. And the result of that, nobody gave a damn because they're like, okay, who are you people? Just show us the game. We don't care about who (laughs) you are. But uh, actually turned out to be quite a success during that test run at Dennis's. So um, I'll get back to a little bit more history a little bit later. And in the meantime, let's just talk about the uh, cold hard facts. Um, The factory settings required two credits to start the game. Notice I didn't say play the game. I said start the game. And what's interesting is that this game, well, there are a lot of interesting things about NBA Jam, but NBA Jam had an option in which your cabinet could accept dollar bills. Oh, interesting. And I don't know if this is the first game to ever have that option, but yeah. Um, And I do believe you can go through the, the dip switches and set it for as low as one credit to start, though. So at least that's something. And uh, NBA Jam, those of you who um, haven't played it for whatever reason, it is a one-to-four-player, two-on-two basketball game, kind of like Arch Rivals. And uh, the control panel, you have four left-handed eight-way joysticks, one per player. 
Each joystick comes with three buttons off to the side of it. There's a button for shooting on offense, blocking on defense, another one for passing on offense, stealing on defense, and another for turbo, offense or defense. And the purpose of the turbo button, if you hold down the turbo button, the player that you control speeds up. And there's a little uh, meter that appears on the top of the screen that tells you how much turbo time you have left. And I don't think that running out of turbo really does a hell of a lot because when you let go of the turbo button, your turbo meter replenishes pretty quickly, at least from what I could tell. But that's the control panel. Um, I should probably mention the core development team. The lead designer was Mark Turmel, who has a really fascinating backstory. He started working in video games when he was a teenager. And in fact, I think he designed Turmoil for the 2600. In fact, yes, he did design Turmoil for the 2600 because the name of the game was a play on his last name. Also on the development team were programmers Sean Liptak and Jamie Rivet, and artists John Carlton, Sal DeVita, and Tony Gosky. The music supervisor was John Hay, and the music that he wrote for the game was inspired by kind of a combination of typical sports broadcast music and Funkadelic's Not Just Knee Deep. Probably one thing that people remember big time about this game was play-by-play announcements from Tim Kitzrow. And uh, you might remember we uh, actually had Tim Kitzrow on the podcast for episode 75. They originally wanted Marv Albert to do the play-by-play, but after they found out how expensive it would be to get Marv Albert, they're like, nah. And uh, John Hay happened to know Tim Kitzrow from the Chicago music scene because Tim Kitzrow was a drummer in a local band. And uh, Tim himself was not into video games then, and to this day, he's still not into video games, but he's a big basketball fan. He grew up being a Milwaukee Bucks fan when he was a kid. In fact, when he was a kid, he would shoot hoops in his driveway and do his own play-by-play announcing. And he grew up to be a massive Bulls fan. Wise choice, Tim. Wise choice. (laughs) And he was paid $50 an hour for roughly 20 hours worth of work for uh, NBA Jam. One historical thing about NBA Jam was it was the first arcade game to get a license from a professional sports league. Oh, interesting. There were a lot of home games that had sports league licenses, but not arcade games. And there's a interesting story behind that too, and I'll tell the very brief version of it. Long story short, when Midway approached NBA about getting a license, the NBA said, no, thank you. We have some concerns about our branding Their concerns were basically, well, where do you typically see video games, arcade video games? You see them in pretty seedy places. You see them in smoky taverns, strip clubs, places like that. Keep in mind that NBA is based in New York City. And back then, Times Square in particular was in pretty nasty shape. It was very seedy. And that's where a lot of game rooms were. So that's probably what was on their minds. So basically, NBA said, no, thanks. We don't want any part of this. But Midway and NBA happened to part ways on a very friendly basis. So Midway kind of regrouped. They came up with another strategy, went back to the NBA and showed them video footage of families playing arcade video games in various family-friendly locations, especially family entertainment centers. And so I think that was what got the NBA to change their mind. They're like, okay, you got us. We'll go ahead and grant you a license. We want you to pay us uh, 
a certain percent for every arcade machine you sell. And you also have to promise that you're not going to sell these arcade machines to anybody who intends to use them at strip clubs or other places that might make us look kind of sketchy. Mm -hmm. So Midway said, you got a deal. And another thing about uh, NBA Jam that's kind of a first, it was one of the first arcade games, if not the very first, to use 60 frames per second animation. Oh, wow. Until then, the standard was 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, any questions on uh, the uh, story leading up to how NBA Jam came about? Yes? No, but I will say that when you were talking about locations, I think I see... In my history of seeing NBA Jam machines, I think I've seen this game mostly in, most often in bowling alleys. I could see that. Hmm. Could just be me, but I, could do, be. I do, do recall seeing it there more often than ever, pretty much everywhere else, exception of arcades. But um, anyway, hey, let's get into the actual game itself. Uh, obviously, it's a basketball game, two on two, like I mentioned. You choose an NBA team. And that NBA team has two representative players from said team. And because I am a Chicagoan, I had to choose the Chicago Bulls whenever I played this game. The two players I got were Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. No Michael Jordan. Turns out that it would have cost way too much money to uh, get Jordan involved in this. But from what I understand, when Jordan realized that he missed out on being an NBA jam... He reached out to Midway and said, hey, could you make a version with me in it? And they made a special version of NBA Jam that has Michael Jordan as a playable player, and only two copies of that exist. Michael Jordan has one of them, and a former Midway employee has the other one. Oh, nice. I don't think it's even been emulated in uh, MAME yet. Some of the players that they included that I kind of want to mention because they were a big deal back then, there was Shaquille O'Neal on the Orlando Magic, Clyde Drexler on the uh, Trailblazers, Bill Lambeer and Isaiah Thomas on the Pistons, Hakeem Olajuwon on the Rockets, Charles Barkley on the Suns, Carl Malone on the Utah Jazz. <sighs> yeah, because we know of Jazz's roots in Utah, right? Good Lord. And uh, John Hay, the music supervisor, and Mark Turnell, the lead guy, as I mentioned before, they were the ones who decided which players from each team would be represented in the game. And they made the decision based on what they thought would be the best matchups when you play a video game. And speaking of which, I should talk about the matchups here. The first thing that happens when you start a NBA Jam game after you put in your credits, you are asked if you want to enter your initials for record keeping. Because you know what? You can actually save your status on the NBA Jam machine itself. So if you say, yes, I want to save my initials, then you put your initials in and you tell it what your birthday is, your month and your date. Now that's really cool. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, you know what else is really cool? Huh? The obvious Easter eggs. Oh? Because there are a lot of people from the design team and other Midway employees that were hidden characters that if you put in the proper initials and birth dates, you would actually play as those Midway employees, including uh, Mark Turnell, I think. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the many Easter eggs, actually. So you choose your team, you move your cursor over the team name with the joystick, and then you hit the turbo button. They give you the two players and... You use the turbo button to select which of the two players you actually control. Then when you're happy with what you selected, you use the shoot slash block button to lock in your selection. And by the way, it's not just a two-on-two basketball game, but it's an exaggerated reality basketball game. Oh? 
for example, when you shoot, especially when you slam dunk, the players fly through the air, spin around, they do windmills, double clutches, and quite frequently they jump pretty jump, jump pretty high in the air, sometimes triple their own height. And uh, that triple their own height thing was suggested by Eugene Jarvis, of all people, who was not on the design team, but they all looked up to him anyway, and they would kind of go to him for the master's opinions, the guru, basically. He's like, yeah, you got to go crazy with that height there. And it is so over the top. It is literally laugh out loud over the top when you first play it. And really, when I first played NBA Jam, I was thinking, this is arch rivals, really, (laughs) but with much higher graphics. And you don't get to punch the players. I thought there was no fouling, but it turns out there is fouling in NBA Jam. Players will push each other over. Uh, You don't actually control that, though. It just kind of happens automatically. And you don't get called for anything, except there are actually two things you could get uh, called on. One of them is letting the shot clock expire. Just like with the NBA, there's a 24-second shot clock. You got to shoot before that shot clock runs out. The other thing you could get called for is goaltending. Which, for those of you who don't know the rules of basketball... Which is me. Okay, well, this is good, because I have a great goaltending story to go along with it. The rule is, once someone shoots and the basketball starts arching down, you cannot touch the basketball until it is below the level of the rim. Otherwise, you get called for goaltending, and the shooting team gets the points they would have gotten had the ball gone in. And I have a wonderful story about goaltending that I have to tell. This happened in 1988, I believe, at my future high school, Joliet Catholic High School. The basketball team was in a tournament playing against the Lockport Porters. The Porters, we carry your luggage for you. I believe it was Chris Mahalik. Joliet Catholic was down either one or two points. And just as the final second ticked down and the buzzer went off, Chris Mahalik on Joliet Catholic threw a desperation shot from the other end of the court, and it didn't go in, so naturally you think, okay, Lockport's winning. Um, Except this was caught on uh, local TV, by the way, except all of a sudden they saw the Joliet Catholic side celebrating because one of the Lockport players got so excited at the end that he jumped up and grabbed the ball, and it was still not below rim level, so they called goaltending on him. And Joliet Catholic got credit for the three points that they would have gotten had the ball gone in. Oh, damn. So basically, because of that goaltending, Joliet Catholic won the tournament at the very last second. And being a future Hilltopper, I was thrilled about that. (laughs) So yeah, they call goaltending an NBA jam. They got me like three times with that. Oh, by the way, fun fact, speaking of how players shove each other over sometimes, the shoving animation is just recycled from the chest pass animation. Ah, chest pass for those of you who don't know is just a basic pass that it's called the chest pass because you do it at chest level. So uh, there's no referee except for the tip off. And the referee was a digital depiction of Jake Simpson, who was a developer at Midway. Ah, and there's some things that were pretty revolutionary for NBA Jam when it first came out, but they're kind of rustic. Now, I mentioned before Tim Kitzrow's play by play. The thing is, though, they had very limited space for play-by-play, so that's all they could put in, just very short phrases. And it actually does sound good, but one problem happens when a player's name is mentioned, because when they recorded Tim Kitzrow saying players' names, the inflection doesn't necessarily match the same inflection that he used during his uh, play-by-play. So it might be something like, Pippin sinks it! Leitner, away with it! 
up the board. It's kind of jarring. Because it's it's it saves more time to have the names recorded separately, uh, and then you just pop them into the uh, pre-recorded phrase instead yeah. of recording the whole phrase for like 30, 40, 50, whatever players that are in the yeah. game. Yeah, and they, they just didn't have the capacity to store all that stuff, too. But uh, they're just short phrases like, from downtown, lays it up, magic carpet ride. And one that I hate that I got several times and I felt insulted, ugly shot. Ugly shot. And, of course, the famous boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. The boom shakalaka came from John Carlton. It was during the recording session, and... Uh, John Carlton just happened to be listening to I Want to Take You Higher by Sly and the Family Stone. He got that boom shakalaka from that song. It's not exactly what they say in the song, but uh, that's kind of how he interpreted it. So he yelled over to Tim Kittrow. He said, hey, say boom shakalaka. He's like, what? Okay. He's like, boom shakalaka. And also speaking of Tim Kittrow mentioning the players' names, because of limited storage, they could only have him identify players by their last name. So he couldn't say Scotty Pippen. He had to say Pippen. And he recorded three different inflections for each name. So you could have like Pippen, Pippen, Pippen. One other thing that was kind of revolutionary for its time. I don't know if revolutionary is really an appropriate word. It might be a little exaggerated, but you can actually hear the player's sneakers squeaking on the floor. But something I noticed, it's the same squeak every time. And I want to get back to that. He's on fire. That was a Marv Albert signature phrase, and the dev team wanted to do something with that. So what they did, they took that and added an actual fire feature. If your player sinks multiple shots in a row, things heat up. Well, figuratively speaking, there's actually a burning animation added to the basketball, and Tim Kitzrow says he's heating up. If the player sinks, I think it's three in a row, Tim Kitzrow says, he's on fire. And at that point, the basketball turns into a fireball. Neat. And your shooting odds go way up and you get unlimited turbo. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And the fire animation for the on fire part, by the way, was taken from Smash TV. Ah. Ah. And anyway, uh, notice it earlier. You may have noticed it earlier. I said specifically that under factory settings, you need two credits to start the game. That's because... Those two credits will only last for a quarter, a period, that is, the first quarter of the game. If you want to play more, you have to pony up two more credits. So basically, assuming factory defaults and assuming the game doesn't end in a tie, it'll cost you $2 to play an entire game. Damn. And the periods, I think, are, what, three minutes each? So they're not full-length periods. And if the game ends in a tie and you want to settle the tie, guess what? You got to pay two more credits. You know what, though? Thinking about that, I said, damn, but uh, thinking about it, Atari football was uh, a quarter for 90 seconds, regardless of whether the uh, the quarter was up or not. So that game oh, could actually true. be more expensive. Yeah, and pole position is like that, too. How? Doesn't it end after a certain, after like... Yeah, but you one... can't continue for more time. Oh, okay. I'd cut that part out. <laughs> oh, one feature that this game has, uh, they call it rubber banding. And what that means is, let's say that your team is doing really, really well. You're on a really good like shooting streak. You keep sinking, you keep sinking. Eventually, the game is going to kind of tilt the odds in the favor of the other team to try to keep the game as close as possible. So basically making it more exciting in that way. I think Arch Rivals does that too, but I might be wrong. So prepare yourself for the rubber band, man. 
Exactly. Oh, speaking of arch rivals, I seem to remember that when we talked with Brian, Co- <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about name dropping here. When we talked to King Henry VIII, he had mentioned that Jeff Nauman's engine for arch rivals was used for NBA Jam as well. They used basically the same engine. I wasn't able to confirm that, but I would not be surprised because it really does play a lot like arch. these two games, arch rivals and NBA Jam do play a lot like each other in terms of uh, game mechanics and things. So that would not surprise me. Uh, uh, Earlier, by the way, I mentioned some Easter eggs and I'm not going to go into all of them because there are just way too many to talk about. One of the Easter eggs, I think if you hold down the pass button and the turbo button during the, um, the screen that says tonight's lineup, if you hold those buttons down, your player's head will be giant. Neat. With the graphics in this game, with the, the player's head on the body, it uh, kind of almost has a little bit higher resolution effect of the, uh, the character in uh, Journey Escape. Yeah, in fact, they were kind of uh, talking about that during development. They said, we, wa- we want to get some really good digital graphics in here, and uh, let's do it better than they did it with Journey Escape. <laughs> but then again, the well, technology it Journey was Esca- better. It wasn't this. Journey Escape, it was just Journey. Oh, that's true. It was Journey just- Escape was a 2600 game. That's true. But obviously the technology was way better for NBA yeah. Jam than it was for yeah. Journey. So yeah, the faces were not digitized, at least with this version of NBA Jam either. They were actually hand drawn. Oh, really? Yeah, they were using. A, I think it was Deluxe Paint on the Amiga Two Thousand. Huh. They, interesting. They did that with uh, the uh, bodies themselves. They were digitized from uh, four different models. Uh, one of them was oh, what the heck was it? Uh, Why does Scotty Pippen suddenly have boobs? Yeah, right. One oh, of the, mo- one of models. the models was Willie Morris Jr., who was a nightclub bouncer who happened to play a lot of uh, pickup basketball around Chicago. Uh-huh. And uh, Mark Turnell and John Carlton happened to find him, and they said, hey, uh, we want to use you for our video game. So uh, they filmed him against a blue screen, and he was wearing a blue and white uh, uniform. They filmed him doing everything from just basic dribbling to really showboating slam dunks, which they, they actually started calling him air Morris because he was that good. He did. He went so far as to play an imaginary game against invisible opponents. And he did everything from layups to slam dunks to actually feigning being pushed over by an opponent. So Mm -hmm. he, he just did the whole nine yards there. And they also uh, used um, a DePaul university basketball player, a blue demon, hence my uh, DePaul pint glass tonight. Uh, named Stephen Howard, and there were a couple of other guys they found, Todd McLaren and Tony Scott. They were the four models that were videotaped. Now think about this. They were wearing blue and white uniforms and being videotaped against a blue background. You see a problem there? Uh, Gee, uh, chroma key? Yeah, exactly, which they didn't realize until post-production happened, and they actually had to manually correct it, and it was it turned out to be a big pain in the ass. And uh, the jersey colors, by the way, they use some kind of like palette-changing technology to be able to quickly change the colors in the game as you select them. I think they had like 256 palettes of 256 colors each, so that was uh, pretty cool they were able to do that, uh, but... Uh, going back to those Easter eggs, there are a couple of more that I want to talk about. I'm not going to talk about every single one of them, but one of them I have to talk about. There was an Easter egg that uh, if your player under your initials and birth date, if you were able to beat all 27 of the other teams eventually at the end of the game, a couple of cheerleaders would be on the screen. One would be opening up a bottle of champagne and another would be hoisting a trophy. I don't know if that's really so much an Easter egg as it is just a uh, thing. And the other Easter egg, perhaps the most famous one, 
well, maybe not the most famous one, but the most noteworthy one is I think you have to hold down all of the buttons and then pull all of the joysticks down. I think during that same screen, the uh, today's lineup or tonight's lineup screen, you actually uncover a tank game based off of Battlezone. Hmm. And later on, after the game was actually released, somebody figured out that you could get that tank game without even starting a game. Really? Which the supervisors at Midway were like, what the hell? If people find this out, they're going to be doing that and not actually putting money in the game. But it turned out that, number one, that wasn't actually happening because people still wanted to actually play the game. They wanted to play NBA Jam. And number two, they were able to fix that bug and hurry up and get the software out and uh, install it on uh, most of the machines that were out there. So. Many of the Easter eggs, the ones that I talked about and the ones that I didn't talk about, were actually enumerated uh-huh. in an article that was called How to Win at NBA Jam. And it was written by a couple of University of Kentucky students, Randolph Vance and William Greg Henderson. And that article was posted on the Usenet news group. Remember Usenet? Oh, yeah. Well, Usenet still exists, actually. It's just nobody uses it. But it was posted in Rec Games Video Arcade. And a lot of the details that were in that article came from Mark Turnell himself. These kids who wrote the article, they were so, they loved the game so much that they actually went to the school library and found a Chicago phone book and looked up Mark Turnell and found his home phone number in it. So they (laughs) called him up and he said, look, guys, don't call me at home. You want to talk? Here's my work number. So they called him at work and he was actually very happy to share a lot of secrets with him. So Over a series of phone calls, they put together that frequently asked questions, as it were. Uh Uh-huh. And eventually, Video Games and Computer Entertainment Magazine paid Randolph Vance and uh, Greg Henderson 200 bucks each to turn the guide into an 11-page magazine article. And it was published in the August 1993 issue. And also in that issue, by the way, there was a contest. You send a postcard in, and if they drew your postcard, you would win your own NBA Jam machine. Oh, cool. Oh, you know how cool it was? Oh, let me tell you something. Mark Turmel actually went to a convention to draw the winning postcard. They got so many postcards that they needed a container the size of an industrial waste container to hold them all. Dang. So Mark reached in, pulled out the winner, and the winner happened to be from Illinois, not far from where Midway was located at 3104 North California Avenue in Chicago. So they're like, okay, hey, could you guys bring one of these machines over to this kid's house? So that's what they did. And yeah. And by the way, speaking of Rec Games Video Arcade, some NBA Jam fans came up with some terminology for different types of defense players. You were considered a goon if you kept pushing your opponent over. You were called a squid if your player constantly had his arms in the other opponent's personal space. Other opponent? Yeah, as opposed to what? Yeah. And if you were a slacker on defense, you didn't really do a good job of playing defense. They called you casual D. One fun fact I want to mention, by the way, going back to Dennis's place for games at their location on West Lawrence Avenue. I don't know where on West Lawrence because Lawrence goes way the hell west all the way from the lake to like O'Hare, I think. NBA Jam made $2,468 the week of July 4th, 1993. Think about that, though. If you assume that that $2,468 came from people who played all four periods and that the machine was set at its default settings, that means that that week, the game was played 1,234 times. Wow. And eventually, NBA Jam made 
over a billion dollars worth of quarters from everybody playing it. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's I really amazing. I think that I think Tim Kitzrow told us that actually, and I he think may have. That, I think he said that that was the first time that ever happened to a video game. It helps that you have to pay two dollars to play the whole thing. Oh hell yeah! And um, I'm gonna I want to go over some other little fun facts here. Uh, the basketball court used at NBA Jam was based on the court at the Paul University, and I'm guessing that it's the basketball court that was at Alum Hall because at the time. DePaul University actually played their home games at the Rosemont Horizon. The blue and red colors on the court were an homage to DePaul University, the Blue Demons, and the Detroit Pistons, whose main color is red, because Mark Turmel is from Michigan, and as such, he is a diehard Pistons fan. And mind you, this was during a time when NBA Jam was made. This was when the Bulls were on the way to the title. Mark Turmel did not like that. He put in, uh, I think he put in some graffiti in the game that said the Pistons will win eventually. And I think because of that, they actually put some programming in the game so that if the Bulls are playing the Pistons and it comes down to the very last second, the Pistons will win it. In terms of the development of uh, NBA Jam, some of the folks on the development team wanted the game to be as realistic as possible. So they wanted to have advertisements along the sidelines, just as if you would see on TV. And uh, speaking of which, NBA Jam, you play NBA Jam, it's like you're watching a basketball game on TV with all the fonts and the captions and everything. It's really cool. I actually just, while you were talking, looked up a video on the, uh, the tank game Easter egg. And I noticed that in part of the play, you were saying advertisements. Uh, I noticed an advertisement for Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah. I was going to talk about that, actually. Oh, so, yeah. Sorry. So, totally you already saved me a little time. So, thank you. So, they wanted to put ads there. So, they wanted to include not just advertisements, but the same companies who sponsored the NBA broadcasts to really make it look realistic. But the NBA said, no, we don't want to do that because then you'll be using trademarks that we don't own. So, there'd be some legalities involved. So instead, what Midway did was they put in advertisements for different companies and products, uh, some that were real, some were not. One of the real ones was Mortal Kombat 2 that Jimmy G just mentioned. And another one was, uh, I don't know how this is pronounced. It might be Tortorici's Pizza. And it's an actual pizza place still in existence. And they have several locations in and around Chicago. Huh. Well, you might have to uh, go to check them out. Oh, I definitely want to check them out. Let me know when you're going. I'll join you. Okay. There was uh, an advertisement for Air Morris Sneakers, obviously named after Willie Morris Jr., who... Oh, uh, I thought they were named after the town I live in. No. Oh. No. And, um, let's see, and Cheer Accident, and uh, there, the advertisement for Cheer Accident was an homage to a band that Dan Forden was in, and Dan Forden was a sound designer for Mortal Kombat. There were cheerleaders in the game as well, and they were modeled after Carrie Ann Roskin's Revis and Lorraine Olivia Hawker. Lorraine herself, she was actually a former cheerleader. Carrie was not, so she basically had to imitate whatever Lorraine was doing. And there's uh, an interesting story as to how these two models were found. Jack Hager, who was an artist for Midway, called Playboy. And they said, hey, do you have any models who might want to be animated in a video game? And they're like, whatever like hey you two girls you want to go do this they're like sure because <laughs> keep in mind playboy was headquartered in chicago so right. it wasn't much of a trip for them it was just seven miles across town and remember how i said some of the development team wanted the game to be as realistic as possible john carlton included but there were others on the development team who wanted it to be really super over the top including mark termel 
His reasoning was, okay, I understand that you want this to be a realistic depiction of basketball, but this is a video game for crying out loud. Tortorici's Pizza, I just looked them up. They got six locations in Chicago. One of them is actually just called Papa Joe's. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I technically, three in Chicago, one in Downers Grove, one in Buffalo Grove, and one in Arlington Heights. Uh-huh. When the game came out, Tim Kitzrow, like if he happened to be somewhere where there was an NBA jam machine, he would watch people play, and he would actually call the play-by-play sometimes. He would actually, oh, boom, shakalaka, and, uh, <laughs> and they would turn around and say, you know, you sound just like that guy. <laughs> awesome. I would, you know what? If I was in his shoes, I would do the same damn thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He would do that if he, if he saw people playing basketball for real, too. <laughs> We talk about home ports. There were po- there were home ports for just about every modern system, I think. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of it, but Midway actually worked with Acclaim Entertainment to do the home ports. Mm-hmm. I-, I think I saw some source online that said Acclaim was Midway's home game division. It was not. Acclaim was a totally different company. Yeah, Acclaim was a totally different company. Yeah, and Acclaim outsourced the NBA Jam development to Iguana Entertainment in Austin, Texas, and Acclaim later bought them out and renamed the company Acclaim Entertainment Austin. The NBA license, when it came up for renewal, turned out that it went entirely to Acclaim. Arcade game rights, home game rights, everything. And Midway was pissed off about that, and they... Uh, I don't know if any two people agree on how exactly that happened. I don't think anybody knows 100% sure how Midway lost the license, but somebody was able to identify who was responsible for it at Midway, but basically they want to protect the guy. They don't want to say who it was. Eventually, Midway did get the license back to do more NBA arcade games, but the problem was Acclaim still had the rights to the NBA Jam name, so the further NBA games that uh, Midway put out had to go under different names, like N- I think NBA Hoops was one of them. Then in 2009, Electronic Arts, <laughs> EA Sports, started working on a new basketball game for the Wii, and they wanted to put in some similar exaggerated uh, reality things, like over-the-top animation and things like that. And somebody at EA Sports said, well, is there any reason we can't just make this an NBA Jam game? So EA Sports reached out to NBA to find out who had the license. And NBA said, actually, no video game company has our license anymore. It's up for grabs at this point. And it turned out the reason for that was both Midway and Acclaim had since gone out of business. So EA Sports pounced on it. And by an astonishing coincidence, they found out that one of their coworkers over in Florida at EA Tiburon was Mark Turmel, the brainchild behind NBA Jam in the first place. Ah. So... They reached out to him. They're like, hey, help us out here. They got Tim Kitzrow again. And uh, at this point, Tim Kitzrow had done a lot of play-by-play for different Midway games and Acclaim games. In fact, Tim Kitzrow has the unique claim that his voice has been used for games that were licensed from all four of the big four sporting leagues in the United States. His voice is on NHL, NFL, NBA, and um, MLB. MLB games. What MLB game was he involved with? I don't remember, but... I can't believe I have to step in a game for you, silly buffoons. It was MLB Slugfest. I remember I talked to him about this when we talked to him at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, He actually did a play-by-play with Kevin Matthews as Jim Shorts. And we are on the air. Tim Kitzer with my good friend and partner, Jimmy Shorts. Hey, Jimmy, terrible thing the way that pigeon went after you yesterday, but... You know, I I can still hear that pigeon pecking my eardrum like it was a pile of seed. Now, Jimmy, that just might never go away. That's called post-traumatic stress, and... uh... 
those of you who've uh, never lived in the Chicago area, Kevin Matthews was a big name in Chicago radio back in the nineties. Uh, I think he's, he does it in Michigan now back in his hometown, but, uh, and one of his characters was Jim Schwartz, the sports guy. Anyway, NBA jam was released for the Wii and PlayStation three in 2010 and over the next few years, there were mobile app versions of NBA Jam released. And uh, nothing since has come from the NBA Jam franchise since probably about 2014. And it turns out that EA Sports still has the license through 2019. I don't know if it's expired yet. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. Wasn't there also a tournament edition of NBA yes. Jam in the arcade? That was the first arcade sequel. The tournament edition, I th- you know what? Um, I totally forgot what I was going to say about the tournament edition. Do you have any information on that? Nope, not at all. None whatsoever. Yeah, I think it was a little bit toned down for people who wanted to play uh, some more serious basketball. Uh, yeah. There was also NBA Jam Extreme, which I think Acclaim made, and it turned out not to be a big hit, if I remember correctly. But yeah, the home versions, there are some versions for the Super NES, the Genesis, Sega CD, the Game Boy, Game Gear. Jaguar. Jaguar? Oh, yeah. It was on the Jag. Ah. Which is a euphemism for something. Yeah, of course. Uh, I should talk about the scoring. Scoring is basically basketball scoring two points for a regular goal, three points if you shoot from beyond the three-point line. Of course, goaltending points, goaltending scores also apply. The no free throws because there are no fouls in this game, I think... Did they, I don't think they eventually implemented free throws. I don't think so. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Just as with Atari football, no scores are recorded at Twin Galaxies or Orcade.com, but I did find one on Highscore.com. Oh? Highscore.com user Ichigo Kurosaki1991 of Houston, Texas has the record on Highscore.com, and they use the Twin Galaxies method of arch-rival scoring. And let me tell you something, the difference in score, seven points, not much at all, probably wow. because of the rubber banding used in the game. Mm-hmm. So basically Ichigo Kurosaki 1991 had a seven point lead over his opponent at the end of the game on May 23rd, 2016. Jimmy G, where did you first see and or play NBA Jam? Well, I can tell you both because they were not at the same time. First place I saw it was at the Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall, Joliet, Illinois. 60435, area code 815. I think it was a 439 exchange on the uh, phone number. Yes, it was. Yeah, all the locations of the mall had a 439. 436 yes. was a plain field exchange, but the mall Which was is, 439. Which is my number was a 436, yeah. even though my mailing address was Joliet. But huh. So that's the first place I saw it, but I was not ever really into sports games. I'd right. play a little bit of maybe uh, punch out or a little bit of track and field, but that would be the, about the extent of it because I just don't do sports. And I never played NBA Jam at all until a couple of months ago. Really? And I'm playing it and I'm like, you know what? This is actually really pretty fun. And uh, I was found myself actually enjoying the game. Yeah, I oh. suck at it, just like I suck <laughs> at pretty much every other game I play. But um, yeah, I, w- I was having a good time. And I'm like, I can't believe I my bias against sports games kept me from playing this great game. Well, yeah, I mean, I hate I hate golf unless there's a little tiny windmill involved. But I really enjoyed playing PGA Tour golf on the Genesis and the Amiga. You know what? The uh, NES game just titled Golf, one of their black box uh, titles from the console's release. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Really? Uh, I love huh. that game. A little <laughs> oh, by the way, when you first played NBA Jam, where was it? Was it Prince Arcades? Was it the Ghost? Mame. Oh, Mame. Okay. Mame. Yeah, I still haven't played an arcade cabinet because I haven't seen an arcade cabinet. I think they have one at Prince Arcades. 
Okay. I don't recall seeing it today. Huh. Unless they have it and it was in the back room. Because, you know, again, arcades, sometimes they swap out uh, the machines because either they want to freshen up the lineup or uh, there's something wrong with the machine. Right. Man, they may have handed out. I don't, I don't Oh, it's Pixel Blast. Pixel Blast. Pixel okay. Blast. Okay. I, I, I always get the, the P arcades confused. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm rather enjoying it. I can't say it's a game that I'll keep going back to because I still have sure. my bias against sports games. But... Um, I do like it, uh, and I think it's a fun game. Oh, okay. By the way, the other NBA games that um, that Midway put out after mm-hmm. they lost uh, the uh, the rights to the or the, when they didn't have the rights to put the NBA Jam name on them, hmm. uh, there was uh, NBA Hang Time, and then there was an enhanced version of that called NBA Maximum Hang Time. Aha! Uh-huh. And there was NBA Showtime, NBA on NBC. Those are technically NBA Jam sequels. NBA on NBC, E-I-E-I-O. L-S-M-F-T. O-I-C-U-R-M-T. O-I-C-U-812. How about you, Sean? Where did you first uh, see you know, or play the game? I, the thing is, NBA Jam was so ubiquitous when it first came out. Oh, and hell it's still, yeah, it and It's still kind of ubiquitous. And I really don't remember, but I want to say that it probably was the same place, the uh, Aladdin's Castle at uh, Louis-Juliet Mall. I, it probably was. And I, I'm pretty dang sure that I play. I usually played Arch Rivals. That was my go-to basketball game, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. darn sure that I did spend some quality time with NBA Jam as well. I never really gave NBA Jam much thought. I think it was partly because when uh, barcades, beercades started popping up, like newspaper articles about them would say, oh, this is a retro place. They have NBA Jam. It's like, dude, NBA Jam isn't old enough to make it retro. Come on. Atari footballs, I, I would say, is actually too old to be retro. Yeah, right. Well, thing, okay, technically, it's it, retro doesn't mean old. It means new, but old style. It, it, vintage would be a better word. True, true. Especially because all these places had much older games like Donkey Kong, Centipede, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, the Galaxian series. But NBA Jam, I think that kind of that kind of soured me on my whole attitude toward NBA Jam. Mm-hmm. But having said that, when I started playing NBA Jam to prep for this episode, I was like, you know, this really is a pretty cool game. And the more I played it, the more I loved it. And I'm going to just jump right to my rating for NBA Jam. Sure. I so wanted to say that it made me miss arch rivals and i do believe that mark termell and the design team for nba jam did think about arch rivals when they talked about that but they were like but thing is arch rivals is too cartoonish we want this to be more realistic Mm -hmm. and i kind of see where they were going because there's still a little bit of cartooniness with nba jam the purpose of arch rivals versus nba jam is that arch rivals was there to make you laugh NBA mm-hmm. Jam was there to make you play basketball. And that's what people did. They were playing basketball in video game form and trash talking each other as they would on, say, a city basketball court, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I found myself thinking, man, this is so awesome. And when I would sit there and play an entire game, I would forget about Arch Rivals. I would forget Arch Rivals even exists because it was that good. I'm just going to go straight over everything and say, I'm giving NBA Jam five out of five continues. Wow. Five out of five. Five out of five. Uh, I love NBA Jam and I love Arch Rivals. It just depends on what I want. If I want to laugh, I'm going to play Arch Rivals. I mean, our, NBA Jam will still probably make you laugh because things are just so crazy in that mm-hmm. game. But it's not meant to necessarily make you laugh. It's meant to make you play basketball and stick more quarters and tokens in. Well, with all that having been said, I'm going to rate it a three. Really? Okay. Uh, because, because at this point, I just don't have enough experience with it. And I don't think I can judge it fairly on just playing it the last couple of times as I have 
especially since I saw it way back in the classic era. Of course. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to rate it a three. This is a game I'm going to try off and on, and yeah. it might affect my rating. It might not, but sure. there's my non-sports bias uh, showing through there, too, though. So could just stay a three because of that. But yeah. then again, well, I like the Atari football. Yeah. So, the know. thing is, like, I'm not a huge sports person. I mean, because of who I am and all that, I have to be a Bears fan, and I, I, I love NFL football. And I used to watch the Bulls religiously until the mm-hmm. 1998 season was over. Because <laughs> once Jordan and Pippen left, it's like, why bother? And they have mm-hmm. not been the same since. But man, this game came out during the absolute perfect time to be a Bulls fan. Mm-hmm. It did. So th- I'm sure that kind of adds to my excitement. Because, uh, in fact, adding to my excitement, I should say, I spat out a lot of information about this game, and it wasn't even a fraction of what I learned about it. And you might be wondering, Sean, where did you learn all this crap about NBA Jam? Yes, where did you? Well, there were two big sources that I found. Because when I was doing my research, I figured, okay, this game was massively popular. People still love it. And there has to be somewhere. Like, I type in a search engine, NBA Jam fan page. I Something has to come up that'll give me a butt-ton of information. And there were two things that came up that helped me immensely. One was a link to an article that was published in Sports Illustrated around the time the game came out, I think. And of course, I will share that link in the show notes. And I stumbled upon a book about NBA Jam called the NBA Jam Book. It's from a series of books called Boss Fight Books, and this was book 21 in the series. Uh, very few of the books are about arcade games. Most of them are about home games. It's called the NBA Jam book, and it was written by, I think the pronunciation is Rayan Ali, and the book literally just was released a few days ago in digital format. It was only four bucks. I decided I could afford to spend four bucks on this, and uh, the paperback version of the book is due to come out next month in December, uh, December 2019, those of you listening in the future. And this but I gotta say, this NBA Jam book was freaking amazing. I I read it on my computer and on my phone. I could not stop reading. It was it's a definite page turner. I highly huh. recommend it. It has quotes from just about everybody ever involved in the game. Uh, it has some NBA quotes from it. Um, has some uh, contributions from pretty much all the Midway design team. And the book also gives a great background on Midway itself and its rise and its fall and about how when Midway closed for good, the people still left in Midway had a little ceremony at the Chicago river outside of the building. I'm not going to get into the details, but it is, it is a great read for that. And uh, it involves Eugene Jarvis, of course, even though he wasn't with Midway at the time. I don't think he was at least he may, he may have gone back. I don't remember, but he left to form his own company, uh, Vid Kids, and then uh, Raw Thrills, it? and Raw Thrills, which is his current company. Yeah, and so yeah, I highly, highly recommend that book. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, you know how uh, some people make a little bit of money uh, if you buy from a certain link for mm-hmm. uh, the product on Amazon. We at Pie Factory Podcast, guess what? I uh, don't get a cent because we nope. never we never set anything like that up. No. So, <laughs> oh. But yeah, that's NBA Jam. My overall verdict, I absolutely love it, and I love the book just as much. Would you say that the book had a definite uh, effect on your on your uh, rating? 
Um, it may have had a tiny bit of an effect. It may have had a tiny bit, a tiny effect, but not, if anything, it would have pushed me over from a 4.5 to a five. Gotcha. And let me see, I'm going to see if I can, uh, other titles in the boss fight book series. Um, let me see if I can, uh, final fantasy five. There's a book on that. That's, that's book 18 metal gear, solid chrono trigger earthbound, super Mario two spelunky. I think that's an arcade game. Uh, Shadow of Colossus, uh, Shovel Knight. So yeah, that might be something to look into. If uh, if this book is any indication of the quality of the other boss fight books, then man, that's a really good series to get into. I've played Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1, and I really enjoyed that game, so I might be interested in looking at that one. Oh, might you be now? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's my little spiel about NBA Jam. Do you have anything else to uh, talk about here? Not a sausage. Not a sausage. Okay. Well, how about we get to Eugenio's email? Oh, yeah. How about we do that? And yes. I just closed my email. Well, wait, that's okay because I was supposed to read it anyway, right? Oh, that's true. Okay, salutations, Sean and Jim. Hello, salutations to you, Eugenio. It looks like my feedback for the prior episode arrived too late to get read in that episode, so now you guys have that email and this one for feedback. It's a double dose of Eugenio. I'm writing this just a few days before I leave on vacation. This is the first vacation I take this year. Oh, good God. First What's a vacation? vacation? Yeah, right. So I'm really looking forward to just taking a vacation in November. Well, he is, he is a doctor, so he's probably really busy. So. Well, also, though, look where he went. Oh, yeah. Colombia, the Panama Canal, Costa Rica, Honduras, Belize, and Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. I've not been to any of these countries before. Wow. Yeah, I've been to th- I've been to three different countries, including the United States, and they're all in North America. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, going back to Eugenio here. In any case, if you permit me to shift gears, I'm now going to give you feedback on the two games for this episode. Number one, NBA Jam. This is a game I've not played in the arcade, but I've certainly tried on the Sega Genesis. From watching videos of the arcade version, the Genesis version does capture the visuals of the arcade well. I think the sounds are pretty good, but not as good as on the SNES version. Regardless, the gameplay is there, and this is definitely an enjoyable game. Okay, uh, I never played the Genesis version. Actually, I have not either. I don't. I don't think I did. Yeah, the, the SNES the, is overall hardware-wise uh, supposed to have a better sound chip than the Genesis, though. Ah, okay. Yeah, I played the other NBA games on uh, the Genesis, like Bulls versus Blazers, Bulls versus Lakers, but not NBA Jam, though. Huh. Uh, Atari football, Eugenio talks about that. Now, this is one I have indeed seen. Interesting. You've seen that, but not an NBA jam. I've not played it, though, as I'm not a big fan of football. Interestingly, Atari released two versions of football the same year, 1978, the arcade version and the Atari 2600 version. The only thing these two versions have in common is their name and their year of release. Well, to be fair, they're both called football. Well, that's what he said, yeah. Yeah. The arcade version is black and white, and instead of human figures, has X's and O's to represent them. I guess it looks more like the boards I've seen with the drawings of different plays that take place on the field. Yep, yep. Just like we said, yeah. Yeah, see, Eugenio and, and us, Eugenio and we, we think alike. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. good for him or what, but uh, this field it. does have the sidelines, end lines, and the yard markings as in a real football field, so the game has that going for it. The Atari 2600 version has colors and humanoid appearing figures for the players to control, pink and white teams. Yeah, do I, I don't know of any teams that actually use pink as a color, except uh, when they're doing a like a, a breast cancer awareness thing, maybe. But, I don't either. Uh, it's interesting. I, Never I, thought of that before. As he mentions the 2600 football, um, I have to give a shout out to the Angry Video Game Nerd episode, uh, Atari Sports. 
And the first game he talks about is Atari football. Oh, I got to watch that then. <laughs> it's great. It's one of his better episodes. The field is done in two shades of green, but there are no sidelines. End lines or yard markings to speak of. I've played this 2600 version on occasion, and it can be fun, but it is pretty basic. The 2600 did have three other versions of football released through its commercial lifetime. Real Sports Football, Super Challenge Football, and Super Football. Each of these versions improves the quality of the football gaming experience on the system, and I have to say it is rather interesting seeing how football games evolved on the system. Super Football is even pseudo-3D and quite remarkable. Really? I, I think yeah, I it have is. that. It, is. It's, it. Uh, huh. it looks like it uses the, um, the graphic engine that, uh, oh, one of the two games um, that were developed, uh, Solaris and... Um, slot Machine? Yeah, Slot Machine. No, uh, it was uh, it was it was a flight game. I can't remember the name of it, but it was. They were all Atari. I think they were all by uh, programmed by Doug Newbauer, huh. uh, I believe. But yeah, um, as far as the Super Challenge Football, that was the M Network one, the one yeah. by Mattel. And I've mentioned before how when me and my brother would play, my brother eventually stopped playing because I always exploited the bug, uh, the oh, ten yard hyperspace, where if you're on uh, defense, you have your uh, quarterback or whatever it is run the opposite direction the field is moving and instead of uh scrolling with the screen you warp over to the other side of the screen and you can get a you can get a tackle yeah the soccer game does that too oh does it i did i actually did enjoy that uh, super challenge football the only problem with it is uh is two player only ah yeah see uh super challenge foot uh, super football was released 10 years after the original football for the system and it shows i found a video that displays this evolution on the 26 oh that's that looks interesting i'm gonna have to link that in the show notes too that I think is worth a watch. Sorry to have made this feedback more about the 2600 than the arcade game. Oh, well. <laughs> At least it's Atari related. Sure it is. And of course, going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Yeah, thanks, Eugenio. I have never played the F- Atari 2600 original football. I have. I've played Super Challenge football and I've played real sports football, but not the other two games. Again, I'll uh, I'll get you a link to the Angry Video Game Nerd uh, Atari Sports episode. Okay, yeah, because I don't know how to search on YouTube. So, yeah. I'll, give you, I'll do the searching for you. I don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, okay. I will Google that for yeah. you. Yeah. Th- oh, I'm so disappointed with that with that website now. It's not oh. as it's not as snarky. It's more helpful than anything now. Aww. It's like, oh, uh, here, this will help you understand how your search engines work. If you want to use Google, here's what you do. Instead of, and it doesn't say now. Was that so hard? <laughs> oh man, I'm so ticked off that it's not so condescending. But yeah, and hey, while I'm at it, I might as well thank our Patreon sponsors. Oh, uh, we got to reveal the theme first, though. Oh, do we? Oh, okay. What's the theme? Sports. That Sports. are actually uh, oh. in season right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had another episode just called Sports, where we just talked about two sports games. But this I thought is we were talking stars. about Huey Lewis. Yeah. I guess that is the power of love. Oh, is it? Oh, I have a rant about that, but I'm not going to oh, do that now because it's all, we're already like late. Maybe I'll do that on uh, Autobiography of a Schnook. Oh, there know. you go. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to thank the following people on behalf of both Jimmy G and me. So it's not just me technically thanking, but I thank Franco Dragon, D. Alex, Rory Coleman, Underground Retrocade, Airshack, Keith Sheehan, Richard Grounds, Steve Steiner, Kyle Etter, Atari Bites, Lance Endries, Richard Valdez, Tim Foley, PJ Steele, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Art Guglielmo, Christian Williams, Nate Lockhart, the SNES podcast featuring Greg Palander, and Kurt Musgrave. And we have a new addition to our list that we welcome and we thank so much. Thank you, Timmy Mack. 
Yay. Uh, t- yeah, I got to say, t- over, the, over the last couple of months, Tim has been just really just saying just the nicest things about our podcast. And Timmy Mac. A lot of other podcasts, too. Like, I think uh, Ferg's, uh, oh, what's the one that I really like that I suddenly can't think of? Uh, Into the Vertical Blank. I love okay. that podcast so much, by the way. And he's just been so kind to everybody. And Tim, thank you so much. And thank you for your financial kindness as well. And listen to our booth announcer at the end of the show. If you would wish to also help us out financially, uh, contribute to our funds that sent us to Midwest gaming classic, because we're still in the hole from that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but anyway, thank you all so much. We appreciate it. And thank you all who, uh, who've uh, been listening as well. Um, Jimmy G, what are we going to talk about for episode 105? Well, I think what we will talk about, let's, uh, let's talk about, oh, I don't know. Warlords, maybe Warlords. Oh, warlords. And, uh, how about. Let's get a little wild here. Let's talk about circus. Oh, f- really? Really? Well, we we got to get it out of the way, I guess. So yeah, let's do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, and uh, wow, this will be our. Uh, this is probably our last episode uh, of until December, I think. I believe so. Given, given our schedule, so I guess uh, happy oh, Thanksgiving. And, um, is a yes, happy Thanksgiving. Gobble gobble. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's not Boxing Day quite yet. So yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday. Oh, yes, yes, very. And uh, and happy Record Store Day, which I think is actually Black Friday this year. And uh, yeah, that's about so, the only holidays I can think of between now and Christmas. Yeah. And, oh, uh, well, well, between now and our next episode, I should say, rather. Yeah, we think. Because Hanukkah's coming up, too. Hanukkah might, I don't know, is that going to work? I don't know. Anyway, this is uh, Sean from Pie Factory Headquarters North. And this is Jimmy G. And we bid you. Yep, we bid you. Crazy nuts. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Tim Kitzrow was in a drummer. In a drummer? Tim Kitzrow was a drummer in a local band. Say in a drummer? Yeah. That's a podcast in itself. Yep, yep. Some of the folks on the development team wanted the game to be as realistic as possible. So, <clears throat> whoa, that was pretty realistic. That was pretty damn realistic. So it's they like wanted, I was there. 